series is about the love of God, and there is no topic more central to the Christian faith than the topic of the love of God. Our title is, uh, the title of the series is Unbelievable, because over and over again, that is uh, inherent in the biblical story. Christ extends his love to sinners of every kind, to violent, murderous people like the Apostle Paul and to sinners who other people thought were too unclean to come into the presence of God. And yet Jesus extended mercy and grace to all of these people indiscriminately. God's people often found that to be unbelievable. It was sort of like, yes, for me, but not to that person as well. That, that doesn't seem right. And this is so important to us because it is central to our vocation as a church to be a people who are permeated by the love of God and who are conscious that everywhere we go, every single day, in our homes, neighborhoods, and workplaces, that it is ours to offer the love of God to every hungry and thirsty soul. In order to do that well, we have to process our questions. What are the barriers that exist to experiencing that love? And we're going to address one of them today. One of the most central challenges to continuing in the love of God is our experience of human suffering. We all wonder sometimes, if God really loves me, why is this happening in my life? Now, of course, much ink has been spilled on this topic, so we are not going to nail it and shut everything down today. It's the opening up of a conversation the opening up of a pathway of engagement that will be fruitful. And we thought for today, rather than me going on and on and on you know, through things, it might be more helpful to you to hear the stories of some of your friends at the river, to talk about their experience of suffering and what it's meant for them to travel through those seasons. And so I want to welcome to the stage Chris Smiley, Miley Tatsuno, and Jessica Smith. Let's give them a warm round of applause as they come. I want to say, first of all, how grateful I am uh, for these friends and just kind of recognize that we are diving into the deep end. So they are uh, sort of unpacking the heavier things of their hearts. So that is a tender thing. I think it's just worth saying. And I want to say by experience that uh, to hear a tender story uh, is to be entrusted with something. So that will happen for you. I hope you feel grateful for that. My expectation is there are things about uh, what they will say that also have a way of surfacing your own experience of suffering. So I would just say at the beginning of our time that even as you're listening to them, there is an invitation also to listen to your own heart, to be aware of what's going on in your own body. The things that the Holy Spirit raised in our lives might be relevant to today or might be something from long ago. So. That is the invitation for us all. Uh, I just had a couple of questions uh, for these guys, and we'll do a couple of rounds of them. But the first is simply to let them introduce themselves and be real people to you. So we'll let you do that. Uh, my, my name is Miley Tatsuno. Um, I 
like Boba and running. And I am an occupational therapist. I actually work at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center, which is like just down the road over there. Um, and that means I spend most of my days working with stroke and brain injury patients, helping them regain their independence. That's a beautiful thing. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Smiley. Uh, I work part-time here at the River Church, as well as at New College Berkeley. And um, I like uh, to box, I like making art, and having long conversation over drinks. Do you spar with people, like if someone wanted to box with you? Uh, yeah, I would spar. Oh, so, open invitation. Church Fight Club? Uh. I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. No. <laughs> uh, my name is Jessica Smith, also known as Jessica Vandergast Smith. Have to plug my Dutch roots there. <laughs> I'm a wife to Don Smith and a mother to Christina Smith. She's nine and a half years old in fourth grade. I work part-time at the Apple Park Visitor Center in Cupertino. And some of my passions are traveling, exploring places near and far, uh, dancing, of course, and uh, having good conversations with friends over meals and family and uh, laugh at ourselves uh, mostly. And... Um, watching a good movie, just hanging out with Thanks. good peeps. Thank you, guys. I love the diversity on the panel. We have dancing, fist fighting, and boba <laughs> drinking. Uh, Three-dimensional people. Um, so let's, let's uh, if you would, give people a window into some of the suffering that you've been reflecting upon this week. Um, I mean, this week you're reflecting on suffering in the course of your life. Um, so I think for me, uh, let's see. So when I was uh, 23, my mom was first diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, she got treatment, she went into remission, and we thought she was okay. And then about two years later, it came back kind of with a vengeance. Like it came back and it had spread, which for those of you who know, that means it was metastatic stage four terminal. Um, but you know, my mom was an angel and she never complained. And she went through rounds and rounds of treatments. Um, a lot of them were like kind of really painful experimental treatments that Stanford was doing because they were trying to find a cure for this uncurable disease. Um, and you know, I think for me and my family, it was really hard to watch her deteriorate. I think especially for me, like as an occupational therapist, like I help people go to regain their independence. And I really watched her go from fully independent to incredibly dependent, like I was doing a lot of her care, helping her get dressed, helping her eat, all of that. Um, she had started treatment in 2018 and then she kind of started to lose steam, I would say around 2019. We got in one last like really like dream family trip to Japan at the beginning of 2020 and then everything shut down for COVID. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I know about my mom is that she loved spending time with her family, like above anything else. And I really feel like the Lord, because like through COVID actually brought me and my brother and my sister, he brought all of us home for her and none of us were working. So we spent like an entire summer together. And I think that was the first time that all of us had been living at home together as a family for like 10 years. But we, we just spent every single day together and really just kind of squeezing every moment together we could. And we did all the fun like um, COVID things. Like we did, we made Delcona coffee and we like made sourdough bread. We went walking in the park and we looked at all the ducklings and um, when my mom started to be a little bit more bedbound, we would sit there with her and watch a bunch of movies and 
We would sing worship songs at her bedside. Um, it was at the end of the summer of 2020 that my mom passed. She passed in August. And we were actually, as a family, we were all able to be there sitting around her bedside as she kind of took her last breath and we, we prayed her into heaven as a family. Mm. Um, for, you know, after my mom passed, I would probably say the first two years were, were really hard. I really felt like my whole life was characterized by grief and I, I thought about it all the time. And then I feel like I got a little bit better. Um, but last year I got engaged and I'm getting married this year, which is beautiful and wonderful and joyful in a lot of ways. But I think it also brings grief up kind of fresh. Like there's a lot of things now that I wish my mom was here for. Like I wish she would have met my fiance and I wish she could go dress shopping with me and I wish she was here to answer all these practical questions that I have of like, do I need to invite Auntie so-and-so? Like I really <laughs> just don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we didn't invite her, so. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think, um, I think throughout, I think especially the more, more recent experiences with grief, I've kind of just come to realize that, you know, I think I'm just, I'm just gonna have a lifelong relationship with grief. And I'm sure a lot of you who have had a loved one pass away kind of feel that of, you know, grief kind of it ebbs and it flows. And it's just something that you carry with you for kind of the rest of your life. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so suffering has been a constant theme in my life since I was little. Um, being a cancer survivor, uh, when I was two to three, I got maximum life dosage radiation, which has caused problems the rest of my life. It saved my life, but caused other problems. Um, and the immediate couple years afterwards, you know, it was like uh, scar scars and burns and growth retardation. And then 10 years after that, it was, it gave me, the radiation gave me another cancer. Um, and at this point in my life, I'm 35, it's, I experienced just chronic pain. Um, and that, that looks like just things hurt all the time. So it, like, it hurts to stand up, it hurts to walk, it hurts to sit down, it hurts to lay down, it hurts to walk. You know, it, I can't, I don't really like running anyways, but I can't run, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it just hurts. And um, the reason I still follow God, the reason I, I follow Jesus is because um, when I persist in angry prayer, and I have a lot of angry prayer to persist in, um, I, I, I meet God. Um, God is, becomes a real, God becomes real. Um, I receive grace, I receive healing, I receive strength to kind of carry things. Um, I, it's not a formula, but it, it, is, it is kind of one of those things where um, when I'm real and desperate and I reach out to God, like uh, just a kid reaching for their parent's hand, um, when they're upset, God shows up and reaches his hand back. Um, one of the things we were kind of asked to talk about or share was like how, what makes the, what makes the suffering worse sometimes? Uh, what do other people do that can make it worse? And one of the ways I would like analogize my pain is, uh, or a pain for all of us maybe too in some ways is that it can be like you're trying to carry huge duffel bags that are obviously too big and bulky for you to do alone. Um, and everyone else is just like stuck watching you just drag these huge duffel bags. And no one can really help you. And it's super awkward to just, just watch this person struggle, obviously struggle. 
you know, um, some people are like, they want to give suggestions, oh, you should care like this, or um, that looks awfully interesting, you know, like comment, or just avoid me, and don't, they're not close to me, because it's too hard for them to watch me, or too hard to be around me as they see me struggle. Uh, and so, that can kind of make the suffering worse, and God is not afraid of my suffering. God is not like that. Mm. In Scripture, I find that Jesus is close to the brokenhearted, close to those who are, close to those who are hurting. Jesus experiences suffering and pain himself. He experiences rejection and betrayal and isolation himself. And then after he goes to crucifixion, he still bears memories of pain and suffering on his body and, and the wounds. And and so, I like intellectually, I meet this God in Scripture. And when I pray to that God, I experience also um, in IRL, in real life, like an experience of God's grace, of strength, uh, uh, ability to make light of my situation and make jokes. Um, that is truly that's something I, I feel like I get from God. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my very first experience with anxiety and depression was early 2003. Uh, I had no idea what was hitting me up to that point. I had been a pretty outgoing, happy, joyful, um, sometimes exuberant adult. <laughs> and uh, so for me, um, it kind of became clear that something wasn't all right is when I had a panic attack on the flight back from a business trip. And as a result, I didn't go back to work for one month. Um, and I just didn't know what was happening. I didn't recognize it. I couldn't sleep well, didn't eat well, um, couldn't control my thoughts. It was constant negativity in my head. And um, yeah, as a result, I had lost a lot of weight and uh, just wasn't doing well. And I was thinking about, I had thoughts about going to the Golden Gate Bridge and not coming back or tripping over cable car line, living in San Francisco, those thoughts went through my mind. Um, a concerned friend contacted my sister in the Netherlands. I still don't know how she got her number because <laughs> they had never met and alerted her that something was really wrong with me. And uh, as a result, my now late parents and my sister came to San Francisco to help me. I remember I was probably in bed and they rang the doorbell and through the intercom, uh, I heard their voices and I was shocked and angry. Mm. I didn't want them to be there. I wanted them to go away. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to see me in the state I was in. Uh, they did help in many ways, and I got a therapist, I got anti-anxiety uh, medication, I was diagnosed with general anxiety uh, disorder and depression at that time, uh, went back to work after that month, and in general was a well, highly functioning professional for the next 13 years or so, although I had many, many bouts of anxiety and depression where they came back. So it was up and down. Mm. Uh, sometimes the up would last a month, sometimes a couple of years. Enough for me to meet Don and get married to him. 
But uh, poor thing, he didn't know what was he what he was in for. I'll, actually, I warned him. I did tell him I had anxiety, and he's like, "I think I can handle it." Ooh, <laughs> that was uh, a confident statement. Thank God for that. But it was uh, definitely. Uh, He's seen things that I'm sure he never um, thought he would. So yes, the anxiety and depression came back uh, with a vengeance uh, many times, but especially in 2016, so 13 years later, uh, it became very, very dark in my life to the point where I couldn't function. Uh, I could almost not function at any level, uh, getting out of bed, uh, getting dressed, showering, brushing teeth, those all seemed like monumental tasks to me, like literally felt like climbing Mount Everest. I kid you not. It was that difficult to do those simple things. Uh, I also developed severe OCD where I questioned everything and also could not make a decision for the life of me. What to wear, what to feed our daughter, everything was a question and created panic and anxiety and endless questions to my husband, what to do, and just really, really sick. Um, during that time, I would say uh, what really was amazing is that friends and family coming around and praying with me and standing in the gap. I was not able to work for two and a half years because I literally couldn't function and imagine ever holding a job again. I also was so hopeless, I didn't think I was ever gonna smile again, laugh again, or feel joy again. Mm -hmm. It was not possible in my mind at that time. It was that dark that there was no hope. And um, yeah, slowly the clouds started lifting uh, with a new therapist who taught me new coping skills. Slowly, things start to get a little bit lighter in my life, and I applied for a part-time job, and I'm still there five years later, and that is nothing short of a miracle. Have not felt any anxiety since, even despite the pandemic happening. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, a lot there, and just kind of help us like absorb it all. I, I just reflect back the diversity of our affliction, uh, the mental health challenges, maybe that no one else sees, that, that's just all underneath the surface, or physical pain every day of your life um, that can be isolating to others. And then profound grief that is happening in the midst of the attempt to celebrate aspects of life. These are some of the kinds of suffering that we endure. Uh, you know, at the river, we on the one hand don't believe in like a cookie cutter, you know, the easy playbook um, to healing. And on the other hand, we believe in the, the mystery of God's capacity to break through. So I think it would be meaningful if uh, each of you shared with people what it has meant for you in the midst of your particular grief or suffering to search for a connection with the love of God. Um, I feel like for me, the way that I feel like I saw and felt the love of God was really, I think, through watching my mom. Um, I know me and my siblings, and I'm sure probably my dad, too, like, had a whole bunch of questions and doubts of, like, why would the Lord do this to us? Um, but I think 
I really felt like my mom gave us a really just like a shining example of like what it looks like, I think, to really face death head on with trust in the Lord mm -hmm. and to meet it gracefully. Like I feel like she, you know, she was the one who is leading us in prayer and she was the one who was constantly redirecting us to the ways that God was being good to us. I think you can probably hear it in the way I tell my story of like there was so much goodness in that time. Mm -hmm. um, I think... I think a lot about that, that story of like the house built on the rocks. I really feel like my mom like so exemplified that for us that, you know, that for her, like when, you know, when the rains came and the floods rose and the wind beat against that house, like she stood so firm and she did not waver in her knowledge and her belief that her God was good and that her God loved her and that her father was going to welcome her home. And I feel like she really showed me that, you know, I think death doesn't have to be so scary that death can be really beautiful like I felt like she showed me an example of like this is what it looks like to be faithful until the very end and then to have the Lord welcome you home um, I think something else that helped me too was was going back to scripture and going back to God's word and I think like Chris had shared earlier like the the Lord promises that he will be close to the brokenhearted that he will mourn with those who mourn and I really felt like in that time, like I felt like I could see God holding my family so close to his heart, probably because my mom was telling us this is how he's doing it. <laughs> but I felt like, I, I really just felt like his tangible presence really just wrapping, surrounding me like a blanket of just warmth and comfort in the midst of something hard. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I mentioned the word angry prayer, persisting in angry prayer a little earlier. Um, that's uh, that emotion is very accessible to me, probably the main emotion that's accessible to me. Um, and my, my daily reality is kind of harsh. It's very, very harsh. Um, and I go through these bouts of like self-righteous fury. <laughs> How dare I experience all this stupid <laughs> pain, uh, difficulty. And I take that to God and I'm like, so what's up? <laughs> what? What's up, big guy? <laughs> How dare you? I use way more colorful language, by the way. <laughs> way more. <laughs> uh, and part of, the, part of the reason I can say this with a happy face um, is because like, I receive softening in response, a gentling, um, not like a humbling. It's not like he then like, humbles me more, but it is kind of like a, I feel an ex a deep knowingness and empathy I don't really love that word empathy, but like uh, a deep knowing of what I'm going through. I don't get that. I've searched for it other places. I haven't gone anywhere else yet. Um, you know, uh, and I, I'm like hooked on that now. I'm, I'm like hooked on that God being real with me in that real moment. I want that all the time. <laughs> because uh, that seems like very just extraordinarily real like oh there's something bigger than me that recognizes and gives some sort of weight to me and dignity and recognizes my dignity in this moment in the midst of extreme pain um, so there's something that's going on I my formula is just persisting in angry prayer being super real and honest and sincere with God and then letting the chips fall where they may that's up to the Lord to figure out how that happens but that's and you, it sounds like yeah. you have yeah. an experience in your colorful, angry prayer of God responding to you sometimes. Yeah, yes. Uh, and that looks very different. Um, I'd say, I don't, 
again, it's, there's not like formulas for the stuff because God is not like a vending machine yeah. that you can kind of crack the code on. They're like, ha ha. Um, he's a real person. He's a real relationship. Uh, but God recognizes when I'm sincere. Yeah. I think sincere is like the magic. Sincerity, honesty is the magic word. <laughs> um, and I'm, yeah, I just imagine curse word. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. And God's like, I hear you. <laughs> I will draw close to you. Mm. Um, and however I need to Jerry get myself into that place, that's what I try to do to draw him. Yeah, thank you. Um, so the question was, right, in the midst of suffering, my connection to the love of Jesus, um, I could not feel the love of Jesus at all during my darkness in the depressed and anxious times. All I could do was remember what I believed at the times when I wasn't anxious and depressed. So what had I committed to before this all started and also during the calmer, more peaceful moments in those many years. And so I just stuck to what I believed up here and with the help of scripture and daily devotions, I uh, was given a Jesus Calling uh, daily devotion by a fellow uh, person in group therapy, and I started reading it and still read it, and I've added the children's version because it often breaks it down, especially when you're anxious, it's hard to read and to absorb things. So to read the adult version and the kids version was something that would bring me back to the truth in scriptures that I believe, yet I couldn't feel a thing. I couldn't feel the love of God. I couldn't feel God near. I couldn't feel any emotion really other than sadness and depression and anxiety. Um, so sticking to what I knew up here, I believe, but yet having no connection in the heart to it. Um, what was especially uh, a scripture that I over and over had to repeat to stay in the truth was, God did not give me a spirit of fear, mm. even though that was all I could feel <laughs> through the anxiety, but of power, love, and a sound mind. My mind was not sound at all, mm. but I had to speak and repeat the truth. Uh, I didn't feel any power, obviously, either. But knowing that that's God's word, knowing up here there was truth, that's all I could do was cling to his truth, even though I felt the complete opposite. Um, when it got really hard is when I learned through a new therapist in my life that what I was hearing in my mind, all the thoughts in my mind and the feelings I had, I couldn't trust those because those were the opposite of truth. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what I'm thinking and hearing in my head and feeling in my body is not who I am. So, you know how people say, you know, go with your gut? Well, my gut was seriously sick. Mm -hmm. So what do you go with when what you hear in your head and what you feel in your body is not the truth? So that was the most challenging and yet the most eye-opening thing. So I could slowly learn how to 
by the grace of God overcome that uh, to some le level. But um, yeah, really hard to not trust your own feelings. And um, during that time, what helped to bring me back to the love of God was really, uh, first and foremost, my friends, my family, especially the prayer min ministers here at church, standing with me in the gap, praying for me when I couldn't pray, um, believing for me when up here I could believe, but not in here. And... Uh, yeah, them just rallying and carrying me through that darkness. Yeah. Really amazing how they came together, right? My, um, yeah, my care community, <laughs> really. Um, and so as a result, um, when things did start lightening up, but looking back, it's like the negative thoughts in my head, what they were repeating constantly is like, you suck as a mom, you suck as a professional, you suck as a wife, you suck as a friend, a sibling, whatever. And then what God showed me at the end was like, you don't have to be the perfect wife, you don't have to be the perfect mom, you don't have to be the perfect friend or professional, you just have to be who I made you to be. Yeah. <laughs> and that's enough, you don't have to do anything to be loved. Even if you don't work another day in your life, I still love you, I actually, my love doesn't actually change. Right. So that was, uh, I mean, that's still, I mean, of course, that's a lesson because, you know, perfection is an evil thing that likes to creep back, right? right. So, um, and also empathy, uh, more understanding and compassion for people who go through mental health struggles. Uh, when I went through my longest uh, deep, dark time, that was pre-COVID, uh, not really talked about as much as now. Um, so I was just holding up a facade when I could and just really wearing me out. Um, and so just um, being able to empathize with people who go through their own struggles in, in, of any kind, really, right. because you just can't imagine how deep and dark it can get. And I can truly say that with God, all things are possible. Right. I didn't think I would ever feel joy again, and thank God I do. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. Well, that was a lot of stuff. I, I wanted to give some names to some of the things, just because the stories are so rich, but, you know, again, we have no cookbook, you know, steps into the love of God, but I hear you saying, just like, well, opening your eyes to the testimony of a beautiful life, that there's something very powerful about that. And in Chris's story, uh, angry, honest prayer that makes space to receive the mystical encounter, that it's not, there is venting, but there is an openness of heart in the midst of the venting to listen for what answer God might have, even if it comes in ways that we don't understand. Then I hear in Jessica's story, the, the power of the word of God um, through long seasons of um, endurance, that there is a perseverance there that uh, doesn't come quickly or, or easily necessarily, but that, that God giving what it is you need day by day. Mm -hmm. um, I want to dismiss these guys and say a word to you all, but they've shared so much of their hearts, it feels a little weird just to dismiss them from the stage. So I would love if we could just say a prayer for them. Um, if you would feel comfortable extending a hand as a participation in an intercession, um, 
Lord, we bless these friends and we receive their sharing um, as a treasure to us. We chew on um, what it is they've given, but we're grateful for them. We're grateful for the testimony of their lives. And we pray that in their ongoing journey, that you would continue to feed them with bread from heaven to satisfy the deep hunger of their souls. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Well, I wanted to um, close, wrap up things by suggesting to us all that the problem of suffering is a Christian problem. We have to wrestle with how can we believe in the God of love in the midst of our suffering. But I also want to say that it's a human problem, that even if a person rejects the offer of Jesus' love, the problem of suffering remains in the world. Everyone has to find a way to answer the question, how will I find hope and strength in the midst of my suffering? And does a materialist account of the world that we're all just chemi chemicals and atoms, is that enough to give us hope in this world? So I simply want to say today, as we open up this conversation, that the Christian faith offers unique and powerful resources to sustain us through the problem of suffering. I would overview those resources in this way, that the Christian faith places our suffering in a larger story of suffering. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. As it suffers together the pains of labor, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now here the Apostle Paul doesn't wave away the reality of our suffering. He places our individual suffering in the story of the suffering of the cosmos. He's telling us that if we are surprised by our experience of suffering, Perhaps it is because we have an inadequate theology of sin, that we live in a world racked by sin. We live in a world that is fractured. We live in a world where things are that should not be. And Paul says we can face that reality in Romans chapter 8 because the Christian faith places our story of suffering in a larger story of hope. Romans chapter 8 compares our suffering to labor pains. I hear labor pains are painful, haven't experienced them myself, but Paul is saying that something is coming into being. He's saying that these sufferings aren't meaningless sufferings. They are not pointless sufferings, that God is bringing a whole new world into being a world where all our tears will be wiped away. What does it look like or sound like when a person has entered into that world of hope? One example is the words of the Apostle Paul in the book called 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul, embodying the hope of the gospel, said these words, 
He said, we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day, for our slight momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Paul is saying that the sufferings we all experience if we entrust our lives to God, if we open our hearts to him, will produce something in us that's beautiful and redemptive for many. And I think in the beauty of the stories you heard on this stage, you got some glimpse of what these beautiful words mean, an eternal weight of glory, lives not bereft of hope, lives of wrestling, lives of strength, lives of courage, lives of self-sacrifice, lives that represent and reflect the love of God in the world. Uh, as the worship team comes and gets set up, I want to read this quote by Tim Keller. He used to be a Presbyterian pastor, passed away in this past year, I think. He said these words, he said, Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. We can't always just gut it through. Suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. It's not an illusion. It's not imaginary. Contra karma, suffering is sometimes unfair. Sometimes suffering comes to us that we do not deserve. And then Keller says that contra secularism, suffering can be meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. So as we pray and as we worship, let's let ourselves be driven deep into the love of God. Father, we thank you for the testimonies of our friends. We thank you for the promises of the gospel. And as we worship you, we now open our hearts to you. We now give you access to the pain the suffering, the questions that we have. And in them, we submit ourselves to you, welcoming you to drive us deep into the center of your great love. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus.